I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Okay, how are you doing, Madigan? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing okay. I mean, I've been better, quite honestly. Every single day I wake up expecting to be less angry, and every day I am no less angry. Uh, In fact, I am probably more angry with every passing day, which is probably something that I should try and figure out but yeah it's not the thing is is that it's fine to feel angry but it's not fine to be angry for that many days in a row that makes me worried about you because it's uh, like I mean, it's, i'm fine i okay. feel like people need to maintain there there has to be a balance of course and we've talked about that balance and we've talked about well um, that's what i was saying i just don't want you to be because there's to me there's a difference between being upset and feeling angry and i just didn't want you to be letting it uh, destroy your mental health and things like that because I know we were talking about it uh, during the mini episode because that's the thing is it's like I don't want the momentum to go away but I also think that like we have to let our feelings for this evolve like I think the anger needs to stay there I'm not trying to say take it away but I just worry about you <laughs> that's it I'm not saying it for everybody I'm just saying for you I don't know yeah no I understand and like I said there is a fatigue or a burnout that can happen but 
I, I almost feel like I need to be even more angry and louder because I'm seeing people jump off the bandwagon. And right. the fact that people are jumping off the bandwagon is also pissing me off. Um, oh, same. So, so it's just like a continual, it, my anger is evolving. So as far as like my feelings evolving, uh, mm-hmm. my anger is evolving. It's moving into, it's moving into different areas. Uh, and especially when researching this episode, it caused that anger to flare up again. It is difficult to look at the world that we live in and see how there's so much inequity that exists. Uh, and the system specifically is built to continue to sustain that inequity. Uh, and that's really frustrating to see. So speaking of that, I'm sure everyone listening knows what we're talking about uh, because they did click on the episode. But I want to give a big trigger warning at the top of this episode because there will be mentions of violence against transgendered individuals. When we were trying to decide what we wanted to do, we had a whole plan before George Floyd. We had a whole plan for June, for Pride Month, of episodes that we wanted to do. And then after that happened, as you all know, a lot of that stuff kind of got restructured, uh, basically. While we wanted to main true to talking about issues that were important to the LGBTQ community for Pride Month, we also wanted to make sure that we were continuing to amplify black voices. So I want to start off by talking about kind of what's been happening this week. We had decided a week ago that we were going to talk about uh, violence against trans women of color, black trans women uh, specifically, a week ago. Um, Since then, there have been developments from the Trump administration. So a couple of days ago, Trump's administration announced that it is eliminating an Obama-era regulation prohibiting discrimination in health care against patients who are transgender. They did so not only during Pride Month, but also on the four-year anniversary of the Pulse nightclub shooting in which 49 people were killed at a LGBTQ venue in Orlando. And in addition to all that, they chose to do this specifically cruelly during a worldwide pandemic, which could send the message that medical providers can turn away anyone who um, is seeking to get treatment or a test for COVID-19 simply because they are transgendered individuals. Uh, Additionally, the Housing and Urban Development has announced plans to change transgender rules for single-sex homeless shelters The shelters could then define sex based not on self-identity, but on biology. So the trans community is always under attack. But at this moment, through this administration, um, this administration is systematically weakening protections for transgendered people. And as we will talk about as we move through this episode you'll see why those protections that were put in place, both for healthcare and housing, um, by weakening those protections, we are putting these individuals far more at risk of injury or death. 
so we are talking about black trans women in particular this week because we've said this about a thousand times on this show. They are the number one targeted minority group as far as violence goes. Uh, so black transgender and gender nonconforming people face the highest levels of discrimination. Since 2013, about 111 out of 157 transgender and gender nonconforming deaths have been black transgender people. 75 out of 102 trans people killed in the last five years were black. So why that's important to see is that there is a trend of the violence increasing and becoming more and more frequent. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit later about the year 2017 because that was seen as the deadliest year of uh, the transgender community. Right. And to kind of put it into focus as far as like right now, right this moment, Another thing that happened this week, in addition to those protections being kind of rescinded by the Trump administration, there were two black trans women, Raya Milton in Ohio and Dominique Remy Fells in Pennsylvania, who died this week. So according to local authorities, Milton, Raya Milton, was shot and killed during a robbery in Liberty Township, Ohio, on June 9th, according to the LGBTQ advocacy group, uh, the Human Rights Campaign. Milton, who was 25, worked as a home health aide and attended the University of Cincinnati. Only a day earlier, on June 8th, Dominique Remy Fells was found dead in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The Philadelphia. It's so much worse than that, though. Oh, it's it's horrifying. It's I'm so trying- much worse than her just being found dead. I not I wrote it in my notes, and I'm not going to say what it is, but it was a. It was a slaying. It was not a mur- just a murder. It was a complete slaying. Right. Uh, it's trying- stuff you hear on true crime podcasts. It's. I understand what you're trying to do and not have it be too triggering, but I think it's important to at least know that there are circumstances that are far beyond uh, the typical death that we see by a, of a transgender person. I don't know. To me, the, Remy Fells's story was a, a a big one for me uh, because of its extreme violence and just dehumanization of this person. It's not, to me, there's a difference between killing someone and there's a difference between absolutely slaying them. And right. Remy Fells was absolutely yes. slayed. Yeah, this was, it was brutality. It was absolute brutality. Uh, I do, I mean, if you feel like you are mentally able, go ahead and Google that uh, if you want to know the full truth of the circumstances behind her death. It's truly, truly horrifying. You're right, uh, Madigan. I only didn't include those details because for so many of these deaths, the details are so horrifying Uh, that I feel like this episode will be incredibly difficult for people to listen to or get the appropriate amount of education from. I get that, Keegan, but at the same time, we are seeing videos after videos of black people having knees on their necks for eight minutes and 46 seconds, and we are seeing Ahmaud Arbery being attacked by three men on his street. We are so we are seeing this violence. We are hearing this violence all the time. And while I understand wanting to protect our listeners and not having this be a triggering experience, I believe that it is important to know the violence because clearly this country will not believe if they don't see or if they do not hear. And if there is not something right in your face that shows you, hey, this is really scary and really bad. And that's why I'm making a point to say that she was not murdered. She was slain because if we just make it seem like these deaths are just 
they're all one and the same. Oh, another one was shot, another one was stabbed, another one was killed. There, there's something about the atrocities of these specific cases where I think it is important to be not triggering, but to to say things that will make people pay attention because that is the problem right now, Keegan. Like there are all of these protests and there are people online that are talking about three people right now. Three are, is all I'm seeing. And I'm learning these atrocious, horrible deaths of these transgender people and nobody knows their name and nobody is speaking about them. And the reason is because we are not seeing videos of them being killed. That's why people weren't talking about Breonna Taylor. There was no video. Right. And I that's understand. what's pissing me off. I'm and fucking I agree. pissed. And I agree with you with about all of that. And it's really upsetting that we have to have videos of people dying in order for us to take it seriously. Because also, and in addition to that, there has been studies shown that for black Americans having to actually watch these videos and having to actually see the atrocities that are being perpetuated against our people, people that look like our brothers, our sisters, our fathers, it is actually doing psychological harm. So I, I get that, I, but at the same, but I don't understand then what's, I totally, and then like, and I, I understand what you're saying and I've, I've been doing my best to, you know, try to, I'm just frustrated, Keegan. I'm frustrated. I don't know what to do because it's like you don't show the violence. Nobody does anything. And then you do show the violence and it's triggering. And I just don't know which. I'm sorry. I'm crying. I am frustrated. I've been reading nothing but violence for the past 24 hours. I'm just worn out. And if it's going to take people hearing these horrible stories... I'm sorry if that's triggering to people. I'm sorry, but people need to wake the fuck up. This is not okay. This is disgusting. This is inhumane. And I'm sorry that I'm crying and like I'm getting so worked up, but it is it is hard. And I am so mad and people need to care. They need to care. I don't know how else to make them care except for shocking people. That's what the media I, I don't does. Know. I don't know either. Um, and I am absolutely with you that I mean, look, listeners, this doesn't happen this much on this show where we get worked up in this way. And so you should understand that the reason why we're getting worked up in this way is because we had to research this episode. So that should give you kind of a benchmark of how horrible this situation actually is. It is truly terrible. And... I'm completely with you, Madigan. Unfortunately, I, I, I don't understand why it is that white America in particular um, or, you know, cishet America has to see the violence in front of their faces in it a way that be salacious. is that is triggering for the people of that of that group to have to constantly be exposed to. So I don't understand why it is that it has to be laid out in such a way that you need to see the brutality with your own eyes in order to believe the experiences that are being relayed to you. I don't understand. Exactly. And, you know, the first thing that I have written in my statistics section in my notes is that one in four Americans say that they know somebody who is trans. And I feel like there's two ways of looking at that because one in four Americans is is quite a lot but right, at the same time i think of americans 
Yeah, but you have to also think about possibly where those numbers could be coming from, what parts of the country these are coming from. And unfortunately, as well as seeing violence, people need experiences with people who are different from them in order to care. That's the other thing. If you do not know someone who is transgender in your life and you don't have that drive to fight for their equality or to be aware of what is going on, you might not have that on your radar. That's the other thing. Yeah. If there's I, if you're not personally affected, you're not going to look into it as much. You you are absolutely right, but I fucking hate that. I hate yeah. that that's how we are as as human beings, that unless we are personally affected, you're absolutely right that that's the case. That's the whole thing that I, I said to Anthony whenever we were having our very first conversation about going to a rally and about like the dangers or possible dangers that we might encounter uh, going to a protest. I actually said to him, I was like, well, you know what? If we're tear gassed, if we're arrested, it, people who are close to us will no longer be able to close their eyes to this brutality because they will have a personal connection to that brutality. But it just speaks to the narcissism of us and the privilege as a people that we can't we can't recognize another person's humanity unless it affects us personally and that is so sad and you're, you're absolutely right and you know I'll, I'll back off saying that like we need to you know kind of like pussy no I'm around. sorry and I don't and I didn't mean to like sorry I'm emotional I didn't mean to come off as like being mad that you said that or being upset because I do I do get it and I think part of it is the frustration from me not always knowing the best thing to say because I don't want to offend anybody. And then it's also, it, it's, it's hard. Like it's hard for me right now to express how I feel when I am neither black nor trans, you know? So it's hard for me to say, and that's another reason why I'm crying. I just don't know. I, I just don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to upset you. I don't want to upset listeners. So I apologize for my outburst. Um, no, but, but you, you just, do have a point. You have a valid point that I know, but we I don't want people need to, to talk I don't, about. But I don't want to take away from the pain that comes along with hearing about or seeing violence. Like, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to say that, like, you have to watch it or put up with it or, like, deal with it. Because I think that you need to monitor what you can handle and if you can't handle watching those videos, then you shouldn't watch them. If you can't handle reading about the violence, you shouldn't read it. But it's so important to still be aware of the fact that there are ex extraordinary circumstances that are happening with the deaths of not only black cis people, but black transgender people and black transgender women as well as well as all transgender people. Right. Yeah. Here's what I'll say. OK, here's what I'll say about it. If you are trans, if you are black and trans, or if you are a black American or a black person just in general, those videos, those things that get circulated on the internet, those pictures of black men hanging from trees, those are not for you. They're not for you. So you, you know that that stuff happens. You know that it happens within your community. So you don't need to subject yourself to seeing those horrors. And in fact, I would recommend that you don't because you know that that stuff happens. If you are ignorant to 
the reality that that stuff happens, has happened, et cetera, et cetera, then yeah, you probably do need to go bare minimum read about the horrific things that are happening within these marginalized communities. You have to know that it's not being overblown or exaggerated, right? We're not doing this to try and fulfill some kind of political agenda. Right. These are realities that communities are having to live with, live through. They're having to watch their friends, their brothers and sisters go through some really horrific shit. Right. You should be aware of that. Yeah. And the thing is, is that it's important to mention that, especially with the transgender community, it's their daily lives and it starts when they're young. If you come out as transgender when you're young and you are in school age especially, uh, it can be incredibly dangerous for trans children. And for trans people in their daily lives in general, they experience discrimination accessing public restrooms, obtaining housing, seeking employment. And if that trans person is black, these things become even more difficult to obtain. So that is the big thing that Keegan and I talk about a million times on this episode. I've been a teacher for the last three months, so I want to do a call and response right now, Keegan. Mm -hmm. What's the word that starts with an I that we always use on the show? Could it be intersectionality? A plus Keegan intersectionality so intersectionality is what makes it so unbelievably uh dangerous to be a black trans woman because being a black woman is dangerous being a trans woman is dangerous meeting at that intersection you are coming across people who are homophobic racist sexist people who do not believe in gender identity so just living your day-to-day lives doing things that i can do very easily, are not easy for this group of people. Right. So transgender women of color, particularly black transgender women, they are disproportionately affected by fatal violence because, as you said, they are impacted by the intersections of racism, sexism, homophobia, biphobia, and transphobia. Black trans women exist at that intersection of anti-blackness and trans misogyny. So they are experiencing a plethora of hateful bigotry that's coming their way. Well, and a statistic that was particularly heartbreaking to me is that 49% of black trans people have attempted suicide, which is so it's it's higher than the black population in general it's happier than the tra- it's higher than the trans population in general almost half of black trans people at some point in their lives have attempted suicide and that to me is absolutely heartbreaking but the one statistic that kind of brought me to life a bit at the end of all of these horrible things is that it's more likely for someone who is um black and in the trans community to be accepted by their families there was actually i did a, I looked at a couple of different surveys and i believe the big one that i looked at was the fatal anti-transgender violence in the united states in 2019 from the human rights campaign um they said that many respondents said their families are just as strong as they were before they came out which i think is actually something that's pretty wonderful and what i thought of as being unexpected and maybe I had to kind of check my privilege there a little bit no I mean I would 
agree with you on being surprised by that because I know that with my own personal experiences within the black community, um, that there is a lot of toxic masculinity that tends to exist. Uh, and we'll, as we'll talk about later, toxic masculinity is a huge reason why there is so much violence against trans people in general um, and trans women in particular. So. Right. It is surprising to me that those statistics exist for black trans women. Yeah. Um, and that's it's pleasant. It's a pleasant surprise mm-hmm. for sure. So should we talk a little bit about the lives of a lot of these people, which will end up being factors of violence? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So as Keegan and I were saying, we are talking about the intersections in which the black trans female community uh, is kind of meeting And there are significant barriers because of that in housing and employment, which pushes trans and gender nonconforming folks into underground economies to survive. So while I believe that if sex work is something that you want to do and that's your choice, I say go for it, whatever makes you happy. But unfortunately, a lot of transgender people and in this survey in particular, black trans women will turn to sex work in order to survive. And other things that have kind of stepped in the way of the safety of these female trans female sex workers is that there have been federal measures on websites like Craigslist Personals and Backpage, which have removed safety that allowed sex workers to better control what clients they accept instead of taking to the streets. So these women are taking to the streets and they are allowing themselves to be available for violence from people who experience toxic masculinity, who fetishize transgender people, who fetishize black women. There are all of these things that's unsafe for these women to be out on the streets, yet in order to survive, that's what they have to do because they are not given the same opportunities of housing and employment as a cisgendered person and especially not as much as a cisgendered white person. Right. Very often, people who are transgendered, once they come out as transgender to their employer, there's a very high percentage or a high likelihood that their employment will be terminated. Yeah, 26% are unemployed. Yes. So uh, when that happens, and especially since many people in the trans community experience uh, a certain amount of being ostracized from their family support systems, it does tend to lead to an unsafe environment where they find themselves uh, homeless. So homelessness is also a critical issue for transgender people. One in five transgender individuals have experienced homelessness at some point in their lives. Family rejection, like I said, and discrimination and violence have contributed to a large number of transgender and other LGBTQ identified youth uh, who are homeless in the United States, an estimated 20 to 40 percent of the more than 1.6 million homeless youth are either transgender or gender nonconforming. According to the Human Rights Campaign, 42% of black transgender respondents of a 2015 U.S. transgender survey have experienced homelessness at some point in their lives, and this is compared to 30% in the sample overall of all transgender people. So it's considerably higher amongst black transgender respondents and 22% experienced homelessness in the past year because of being transgender. So when we talk about the things that the housing um, and urban development is trying to push through right now, uh, 
these protections are so important to the transgender community because they have such a higher percentage of homeless people and especially homeless youth. And among that number, black transgender people experience that even more disproportionately. I was going to say this to the end, but I feel like because we're talking about homelessness, it's a good time for me to mention it now. There is a place in Washington, D.C. called Casa Ruby, which is an LGBTQ community center, and it is a safe space for people. It's a shelter. It's places for transgender youth to go and live or anybody who's transgender to go and live. And it's really sweet. The woman who uh, inspired this shelter was Ruby Corrado, and she was an early activist for trans people. And when you come into the house, they take a photo with you and they put it on the wall. It's really sweet. I saw a little video of all of the photos of the different trans uh, homeless people that have come in and come for shelter, and it's a place. Uh, so if you are trans and you're looking for a place to stay, or if you know somebody, I know Washington, D.C. is not accessible to everybody, but I in particular, thought this place sounded like a lovely uh, resource for yeah, homeless and you, trans you actually people. you find a lot of that beauty in the trans community when you start looking into it further. I know when we talked about Martha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, they did something similar where they would go out on the street, find a lot of homeless trans people. <laughs> And create an environment for them that felt like a home. Yeah, that if you, felt like if a you remember when we talked about them, they really did. They were kind of like the moms or the aunts of all of these young trans kids that didn't really know what their life could look like. And it was a place to kind of, you know, take these kids under their wing and show them acceptance and beauty and love. And the more places like that in the world that there can be, I think the better. So if there's any way to donate to that place and you have Absolutely. the money to do it, I say go yeah. for it. Absolutely. And I, I have a couple other um, organizations that you could possibly donate to. Awesome. I just wanted to mention that episode. while we were talking about homelessness, um, I want to talk a little bit about kind of where the roots to some of this violence begin. And I was reading a lot about how school children are affected because obviously it's something that is very near and dear to my heart, working with a young child who I love very much. Um, when black trans children go to school, 49% experience harassment, which I'm surprised that wasn't even higher because honestly, being an out trans kid sounds terrifying to me. Yes. Sounds so scary. So brave, 100%. Uh, 27% have experienced physical assault. 15% have experienced sexual assault at school. 21% had to leave the school. And 6% were expelled due to bias. And that part pissed me the fuck off. Because I've heard stories of schools that will expel students and use this this kind of blanket statement of protection over it. It's kind yes. of like when they put somebody in maximum security in prison for their own protection, but really it's just very damaging to that person. Right, because what they know is, or what they'll say is that this is a disruption to the other children in the class and they can't expel all other 20 children who are in that class. Uh, so what they can do is eliminate instead of actually working through the problem, instead of calling in parents and having a discussion about acceptance and discrimination, instead of doing the work, you'll just remove what you deem to be the problem so exactly. that everything can go 
quote unquote back to normal. Right. And all of this, like especially if you're looking at a child's development from birth through adulthood and you come out as a young trans child, there is this anti-trans stigma of dehumanization the second that you come out. And if you are young and you are living your life as an out trans person in elementary school, in middle school, this dehumanization process begins so much younger and these biases could potentially be built up in these young people's minds. And that's why it's important not to just expel what you think of being as quote unquote the problem. It's about working with the children and helping them understand so we can stop this stigma of othering transgendered people. Right. And also, you know, you have to take into account what these children's family homes uh, or like uh, these family situations are like for some of these transgendered children. They may not be having the kind of support they need at home either, because that can go a long way. If you have a parent who is willing to support you and stand up for you and believe you uh, about your own gender identity, then that can really help your mental health or help your self-confidence. Whereas if you do not have that and you're receiving, you're on the receiving end of bullying at school or discrimination from school officials, and then you have to go home and also deal with an unaccepting family dynamic, it can be really, really scary for these kids. And that's why it's so important to have nurses, grief counselors, just any sort of counselors in schools, because there needs to be a place for everybody. If children are not going to be loved and accepted in their homes, they should be loved and accepted in their schools. You know what I mean? There needs to be a place for somebody to go. So whether it be a teacher, a counselor, um, you know, even just somebody who works on the yard at recess, an adult somewhere making a difference in a trans child's life, especially at school, I think is a huge difference because, you know, I didn't have necessarily the best home life, but I did have a, a fairly good home life, especially with my mom. And I was bullied really badly in middle school. And knowing that my mom was there at the end of Uh, at the end of the day was really great but also all I wanted was acceptance from my classmates and if we could focus on educators um, teaching kids about gender identity in schools and not just leaving it up to the parents who may have different viewpoints that's going to create a better environment for children to be able to come to school and not have any of those questions to begin with not have any of those biases to begin with because these children will already understand what gender identity is it's so simple once you explain it and kids are fucking smart yeah you're absolutely right uh about that and all of these things that we're talking about so all of these factors i feel like it should be very clear to you uh why transgender people in general and transgender people of color even more specifically and black transgender people are disproportionately affected by violence so uh, trans people are highly at risk of being victims of violence and discrimination. The Human Rights Campaign has estimated that trans women are 4.3 times more likely to be homicide victims than all women. And as we have discussed on this podcast, we did a whole episode on why women are interested in true crime. And my theory remains that 
women are interested in true crime because we are far more likely to be the victims of murder, (laughs) Uh, not murder as far as like gang related murders or drug related murders, but uh, sexual violence. Women are far more likely to be at the receiving end of that. And trans women are 4.3 times more likely. And then in addition to that, the vast majority of victims are black women. People of color, women of color, are on the receiving end of that far more than white trans women, but black women far outnumber any other category of trans women. Yeah, and a really big issue with these statistics in general that I should have read up in the beginning is that it's really hard to get a comprehensive survey of everything because there are so many... Uh, acts of violence against trans people that are not reported or another huge problem is that they are misgendered. So when somebody is not properly recorded with, with the gender that they assign themselves as, it is harder for the transgender community to keep track of who's dying. And like, it's so sad to think about that they even have to keep track of things like that. But there, you know, the human rights campaign, there's a woman named Monica Roberts, who uh, is the blog Transgriot. And a few other organizations are really working to try to uh, get information. And they really rely on the LGBTQ community. They rely on their own community to get information about who these people are in order to even give us these statistics. So right, because they it could be to. even higher. It could be right, higher it, than it's, 43. It's almost certainly higher. Uh, it's almost certainly higher because the numbers that we see, which what we have here is that in 2019, at least 26 transgender or non uh, gender nonconforming people were violently killed, the majority of whom were black transgender women. Yeah, the I read all like but one were said, black. Yes, and like you said, uh, those numbers do not account for unreported or misreported murders or trans people who have unexpectedly died under suspicious circumstances. Those aren't classified as murders. Um, so they don't go into the overall numbers, even though it's quite likely that they were murders. So I do want to kind of reiterate for people who did not listen to our um, Martha P. Johnson episode, I want to highlight this because I really feel like people need to understand how long this has been going on. So let's not forget about our queen, Marsha P. Johnson. Did I say Washington? Did we do this last time? Yes, I said, no, it was me, though. It wasn't you. I was the one that said Marsha P. Washington about a million times. And I think I was I covering her or were you covering her? Or were we both covering her? I don't know, I but I remember, remember. Being, I remember being really embarrassed and feeling really bad that I kept calling her Marsha P. Wa- Washington or something. I don't know. But we all know who you're talking about, and she's the queen, so it's all good. <laughs> she's the queen. So our queen, Marsha P. Johnson, uh, who was has been credited as throwing the first brick that started the Stonewall Uprising, Fuck yeah, she and did. who was instrumental in helping create what is now known as the Pride Parade. Uh, she was a black transgender woman, 
And shortly after the Pride Parade in 1992, her body was discovered floating in the Hudson River. Police initially ruled the death a suicide, but Johnson's friends and family members of the local community insisted that she was not suicidal and that she did have a head wound at the time. Several people even came forward to say that she had been harassed by a group of people um, and that she had been robbed, that she had had a fight with a neighbor who used a home homophobic slur and later bragged to someone that he had killed a drag queen named Marsha. Um, and despite all of this, other locals ended up stating that law enforcement was not interested in investigating Johnson's death because it was just a case of, quote, another gay black man. And so they did nothing. They, essentially nothing. That that case well, is still and it's considered not that they a suicide. Did, it's not they just did nothing. They actually really made lives for especially black trans women so much harder with that statement that you just said. It was just another black gay man. And that is not what Marsha P. Johnson was. She was Correct. a black trans woman. So right. even mislabeling her after her death in the media is such a damaging thing. And I would actually really like to kind of go into that a little bit more because there's so much wrong with our federal government. Our federal government collects crime data through a system that is based on voluntary reporting from state and local law enforcement. So with what you just said, state and local media is calling Marsha P. Johnson a gay black man. That is right. what is going to be written in police reports in memory. That is going to be the the memory that you have of this person and agencies are not required to report crime data to the FBI and no U.S. jurisdiction or agency routinely collects information about a person's gender identity when they die. There is also no official source of how many trans people are killed each year because so many go unreported. Like you said, because these people are being misgendered, because they are being misrepresented, the awareness of their deaths have been undermined since Marsha. Right, exactly. And so um, there was a Mike article that said, while the number of individual deaths is low, uh, they released an article called Unerased, Counting Transgender Lives, and it was a project in 2016, and it estimated that while the overall murder rate for the U.S. was 1 in 19,000 per year, 19,000, the murder rate for black trans women was one in 2,600. Wow. That number is insane. It, yeah. It's completely insane. So it's more than seven times higher than the general population. Right. It is seven times more likely for a black transgender woman to be murdered than the general population as a whole. And their population size is much, 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 much smaller. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and then let's talk one step further. So the big issues right now when we're talking about the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole is not only holding these cops accountable and firing them, making sure they are arrested, but also making sure that they are charged. That's why we're not done. Some of these cops have been arrested. None of them have been charged yet. And that's why it's still a big deal. And it's really, really, really important for us to know. And I want you to write this on a post-it note and stick this on your bulletin board above your computer or your bed or wherever you look. But right now, there are only eight states that ban the panic defense. Do you know what the panic defense is, Keegan? 
Yes, I do. And in fact, not to keep plugging my own shit, but I did an episode. We did an episode of My Worst Date uh, a couple weeks ago where we do a crazy in love segment at the end. Uh, I did the the story of Scott Amador where it was not a trans panic defense, but it was a gay panic defense. And that defense, those defenses, either trans panic or gay panic, they exist and are continuing to be used in courtrooms across the country to this day, which is madness. Yeah, so a perpetrator can claim that a person's gender identity caused their violence, their violent reaction. They can, that's the thing about the panic defense that makes no sense to me. I was so scared of a person that I reacted violently. I read a really interesting tweet from, like I think it was like a nurse or something, and I didn't save it, so I'm going to misquote it entirely. But it was something to do with the fact that, like, you know, I deal with difficult patients all the time. I deal with, you know, people that make me want to strangle them. Never once have I wanted to lean on their windpipe. You know, we deal with difficult people in our day-to-day lives. We deal with people that maybe scare us or that we're uncomfortable with or that you know, we're just unsure of, but we don't kill them. Well, and, you know, there's also a really good episode of Criminal that I listened to whenever I was researching that case, the Scott Amador case. Uh, I think it's called Panic, and and it's a very good episode. I suggest everybody go listen to it, but they made a good point, and that is that if women were to kill every man who came on to us and made us uncomfortable by their sexual advance, we would kill so many people. You're there not allowed no men. to do that. You, you, you can't do that just because your masculinity or your sexuality is threatened or you feel like it's threatened. That's not how this works. Exactly. And then before any of that happens, trans people are not treated equally, obviously, by the police. That does that even have to be said at this point? And obviously, if you're black, you're not treated well by the police. If you're a black trans woman, you're definitely not going to be treated well by the police. Um, in the 2011 National Transgender Discrimination Survey, so a little bit outdated, but the most information that I can find right now. So in 2011, it said 22% of respondents who had interacted with the police reported harassment due to bias. 20% reported denial of equal services. 48% reported being uncomfortable asking for police assistance in general. Trans people are more likely to be harassed in prisons and in jail cells. 7% reported to be held in a jail cell solely due to their gender identity expression. And 41% of that 7% are black transgender people. So they are being thrown in jail cells. Like I said earlier, just like children being expelled, they're being thrown in jail cells, quote unquote, for their own protection because of this police bias. And it's, right. it's just, it's so unbelievably harmful because when you continue to dehumanize and others and put these people literally in solitary you're pushing them further and further away from the community of the rest of the world and that is then making themselves feel like they're them against the world as well well i mean we've had many conversations about like what isolation can do to you Uh mentally as well so you know when you're in a group that is already marginalized that is already othered and then you are further isolated uh it is no surprise that the rates for depression and um attempted suicide are so high among 
among people who are living at multiple intersections of oppression. And there is a black transgender woman who works as a DJ in Seattle named Renee Giroux. And she said something in an article that I read that I will link in our sources. Uh, She said, a lot of the legal progress is becoming undone. And a lot of that legal progress has never protected us anyway. The system, the courts, the police, they don't support us. They often use their powers against us, even when the letter of the law says otherwise. And I think that this is something that we as a country are finally waking up to and coming to a reckoning about is that these systems that we feel like were put in place to protect us, the police being one of those, have their own inherent biases that actively work against certain people. Definitely. Uh, Um, So even if the letter of the law says one thing, that doesn't mean that that's the thing that's going to happen if you look a certain way or identify a certain way. Right. Um, I haven't brought up Dance Moms in about six months on this podcast, I don't think. So I'm going to bring up Dance Moms again. But there, God, if you guys don't like Dance Moms, I totally get it. But look up this clip because there's a time on the team where there were two black dancers and two black mothers. And they're having a conversation about race with the group of white mothers with the rest of their children. Well, the children are dancing. So, but one of the moms mentioned that segregation has been illegal for some time and that racism is illegal. And it was really wonderful to see these two women kind of come to the defense and say, it doesn't matter that in the books it says these things are illegal. It still happens. One woman talks about, you know, living in St. Louis and being forced to live in certain neighborhoods. And the mom, the white moms are like, they can't do that. They can't do that. And it was so hard for them to understand that while legally they they do not have the authority to do so, the reason that these people are homeless and unemployed is because there are ways of getting around the laws with your own bias. And that's what people are doing. Absolutely. And that's the thing that I think has been really frustrating to me. That's the thing that that's the and you know, what? I'm going to go ahead and apologize for coming into this episode so angry because it was just where I was at. It's where I'm starting from today. Right. Um, But part of part of the reason why is because of this. I'm having conversations even today about this exact thing where people just think, well, because the law says this thing, that means that your experience, the things that you're experiencing must not be legitimate. And they gaslight entire communities, especially communities of color, trans communities, LGBTQ communities. They gaslight you into believing that if you are suffering from oppression, that it's because you chose to be oppressed that you have a victim mentality and they completely disregard the fact that we cannot go from just a few short years ago, the year, the years of um, the civil rights movement or the year that Marsha P. Johnson threw that first brick at Stonewall, which was not that long ago. We cannot go from that to everything being fine and equal without having a real conversation about the underlying bias that exists throughout mainstream America. And we have never had the real conversations, done the real hard work to have the reckoning that we need, not just for racism, but also for discrimination against all types of people, period. Right. Okay, so let's talk about how we can fix this, because it's really easy for us to bitch and moan about everything that we're mad about and that we hate. But 
let's be productive and do something about it. So there are a lot of organizations that want to start building more community-based resource programs to ad- to address the epidemic, and they would focus on economic empowerment, capacity-building programs such as like making sure that people are capable of going into new jobs or schools and things like that. Uh, they would have targeted task forces for communities hardest hit by anti-trans violence and expand public education campaigns. So that's something that we can all look for in our communities and make sure that we're lifting up. But we also need to be making sure that our lawmakers are doing what they're supposed to do. So we want to ensure that our lawmakers are passing non-discriminatory laws, enhancing law enforcement response and training, improving data collection and reporting of crimes against transgender and non-binary people, reforming laws against criminalizing marginalized communities and undermine public health and adopt common sense gun violence protections. So that's something that we didn't talk about much at all during this because I feel like it's kind of a given is that gun violence plays a very large part into violence against trans black women. With stricter gun laws, we will have a stronger protection for our black trans sisters. Right. I also want to point out that the first transgender suicide hotline uh, that is specific to people from the transgender community is now up and running in the United States. You can reach Trans Lifeline at 877-565-8860. Also, there are lots of organizations, there are lots of programs that are being put in place in communities, cities across the country, for instance, uh, formed in 2018, the Trans Women of Color Solidarity Network is a Seattle-based organization that collects money from the community through its Patreon page and redistributes it to trans women, to spirit, and femmes of color in need. The group distributes up to $250 per person per month with no strings attached. Because I did read a really interesting article that was basically talking about if we want things to get better for trans women in this and, and the trans community, we should be finding ways to make sure that they are financially secure because of all the reasons that we've already stated, the inability to maintain employment, um, the having to turn to very dangerous forms of work in order to maintain a livelihood, all of those things. So if we can find ways to give money to the trans community, it will help provide life-saving services, not just in terms of employment and housing, but also in terms of making sure that people have money to get gender-affirming surgery if they need it, uh, and things like that as well. Exactly. All right, so I want to give you guys a few ways that you can help, even just from home, just things to be aware of. On all of your social media platforms, you should be elevating trans voices. If you're Seeing somebody on Instagram that you follow who is trans and is saying something great, elevate that voice, share it, talk to your friends about it. Make sure this person is being put in the spotlight. Make sure you are also publicly supporting pro-equality elected officials. Um, I also want to make sure that we are aware that the Equality Act uh, would include protective legal benefits in employment, housing, credit, education, public spaces and services, federally funded programs and jury services for transgender people because right now our nation's civil rights laws do not specifically protect the lives of trans people. Instead, it protects people based on sex, which many lawmakers That means the biological sex that we were assigned with 
at birth. Um, We also need to begin raising the profile of trans leaders, of trans influencers, whatever that means to you. Make sure that you are expanding their message and their voice. And also, the biggest thing that you can do is dispute harmful rhetoric and advocate for trans people to be treated equally and educate others about the multifaceted uh, intersections that these people have to deal with. Because the biggest issue, I believe, is uneducation and that's why we do what we do uh that's why we decided to do the show for ourselves to begin with it was becoming more in the know and more aware of everything so if there are things that you've learned in this episode today that you feel passionate about and you want to share with your friends you know share the information share the episode whatever you'd like to do because the biggest thing to fight this this anti-trans violence is through education. Right. And I also want to encourage everybody to check on their trans friends. Again, specifically trans women, make sure you're checking on them because uh, there have been a lot of studies and a lot of statistics that have come out that have said that a lot of the violence, especially sexual violence, that trans women face comes from their cis partners very often and that that is deeply rooted in toxic masculinity uh, oftentimes they are facing domestic violence in their own relationships so make sure that you are checking on your trans friends um, little things as well things that I didn't even think about I that Things that I didn't even think about came up in my research. Uh, so, for instance, and this is the last thing that I'll I'll mention, but I did want to talk about it because I I hadn't even thought about this. Uh, Devin Lowe launched the Black Trans Travel Fund in June 2019 to provide Black trans women with funding to pay for safer rideshare options um, through Lyft or Uber because trans women, specifically black, black trans women, are facing street harassment at such a disproportionate rate. Uh, So they very often are having to take public transport and are facing a lot of harassment on public transportation. So check on your check on your trans friends. Maybe pay for their Uber if they're coming over to you. Make sure they're safe. Yeah, see what you can do to help them to make their lives easier and stress less because we might not even be thinking about those things as cisgendered people. So ask your friends how you can make them feel safer. Exactly. And this um, Black Trans Travel Fund is available in New York City and New Jersey, but they are hoping to expand to Washington, D.C., Baltimore and Dallas. And I really loved what he had to say, because the reason why he started this is because his partner is a black trans woman and he was hearing her talk about her experiences trying to travel safely from place to place. And he said, no one is free until black trans women are free and safe. It's very true. That's very true. Well, that was an emotional one. I'm glad that it became less emotional for me as the episode went on or else it would have been really annoying for all of you to listen to. But thank you for uh, listening and putting up with it all. If you have any thoughts and feelings, if there's anything that we missed, uh, if you are a trans woman, if you are a trans woman of color, if you're a, tr- a black trans person, all of the above, and you have experiences that you want to share with us, uh, please email us at neighborhoodfeminist@gmail.com. at gmail.com. 
gmail.com. You can also direct message us at Angry Neighborhood Feminist and follow us there. Uh, I've been using Twitter, Keegan. I tweeted three things last night. Thank you. I'm going to try to spend some time on Twitter every day because there's some stuff on Twitter that I don't see on Instagram. I'm getting more information. So you can follow us there at Gamp Podcast. Y. A. N. F. Podcast. Let's see. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with your other listeners on the group page. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us out so, so much. As we said at the end of our mini episode, we really cannot keep doing this without you guys giving us your support. It means so much to us. And if you don't already, please go listen to us on Radio Public. It's a free way for you to listen. It helps us out just a little bit. Okay, with all of that being said, we encourage you to rage on. Bye. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.